Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Tonight, we first welcome back our friend and freelance writer, Rowan Kaiser. Rowan, thanks for coming back to the show. Thanks for having me. And finally, we have first-time guest and someone I've had a, wanted to have on the show for a very long time, uh, freelance writer and copy-editing fanatic Jason Wilson. Jason, glad to have you on 3MA. Hi! I'm very, very glad to finally be able to do it. I've been so busy in the after-hours with kid duty that I'm just thrilled to get a chance to actually sit down and talk today. Uh so our topic tonight is Warlock Master of the Arcane, a fantasy strategy game from Paradox. Warlock is a hex-based, turn-based 4X that bears a startling resemblance to Civilization V, but plays like... Well, I suppose that's a good place to start. Uh, Jason, what about Warlock stands out in your mind as unusual? Well, the fact that it's a fantasy strategy game. How many of those are we getting these days? I'm kind of at a loss... Elemental, was that the last one we had like this? Conquest, well, if you're in the indie space, Conquest of Elysium 3 came out earlier this year. Ah, yes, 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 we did a show on that. Yeah, but, um, you know, these things are just pretty rare in and of themselves. You know, the last really big one was Elemental, and we know how that went, and we know that another one's coming out here pretty soon. Um, what makes this game unusual for me is um, how much it really emphasized just one of the four x's and 4x which in this case to me is extermination i think it also does really interesting balance things with expansion um and some of those are good and some of them are bad but most of them are worth talking about yeah i've been i've been playing it a fair bit these last few days i haven't had as much time to sink into it as i would like uh i was not able to take a review assignment for it when it came out uh, so, you know, you know how it is, time moves on. Uh, but I've been sort of struck by how much it is very much like a, um, a, a war game in a lot of ways. Really, like, the, the, the first impression it made, uh, on me was that it reminded me a lot of maybe a deeper, uh, Heroes of Might and Magic in a lot of ways. Why, why would that the one that you would pick? In part, I, I, I think that's just a sign that I, I've been enjoying Warlock Master of the Arcane. Because, um, I mean, I, I have really fond memories of Heroes of Might and Magic uh, 2, at least. Um, and, and it was very, it was a very hard game. It was, it was, about, it was very, that, that was a game that was very driven about uh, having a very limited number of troops. You could not just, like, really pump out soldiers because you were so resource-limited. Uh, so, so it was. It was always a game that kept you sort of with your back against the wall, economically speaking, and it sort of strangled your ability to, um, you know, basically steamroll the map with just a, a huge wad of armies. And that's kind of been my experience w- w- with Warlock. Like, you know, you know, take one step forward, and then a lot of other forces start pushing back against you. Okay, I I can see where that's coming from then. Yeah, but one thing about Warlock is that as you get further into it, and as you're developing your your, your cities, you know, there's and your spells, there's ways that you can get ahead of that resource curve. Okay, so let's let's start out just by talking about that that economy to start with, because uh, there, there's some interesting there's some interesting things going on with with the economy, and the way it ties into space on the map uh, that I that I find really interesting and really different from a, a lot of forexes I play. Uh, you know, I mean, to, to generalize about the genre, I guess I'd say that, like, a lot of forexes sort of buy into this idea that 
there's always some sort of progress you can make that will take the pressure off uh, various aspects of your civilization or whatever. You know, there's there's something you can unlock that's going to be the solution to a lot of your problems. And I kind of feel like, in a lot of ways, Warlock doesn't Warlock doesn't seem to give that up quite the same way. Uh, and one reason for that is so so many things are tied to the geography specifically. Uh, you you run out of space for you know you run out of space for buildings like a, a city is not just one like a city is not this endless warehouse for buildings and uh, upgrades everything has everything takes a takes up space on the map and so it really requires specializing cities and thinking uh, for a very really early stage exactly what you're going to do with this yeah in fact i find that in the games that i do the best did i build you know, three or four cities very early, and I just dedicate them to one or two different types of production. Generally, just one, but sometimes maybe a supplemental on another side. Or you just need a farm right then, and <laughs> that's what you have to build. Yeah, but 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 you know, I found that myself like I just need X at that moment. I haven't found myself in those that many of those situations, mostly because I've really been trying my best to keep okay. One city will be a food city, another city will produce gold, another city will produce research, and another city will produce magic. And I've been trying as best as I can to balance those out. Well, and Warlock definitely encourages that because as you move up the building chain of specialization, you start getting multipliers to whatever your city is doing. So if you manage to have like a money city, for instance, uh, first you'll get up to, I don't remember, you get like a, you get one building that unlocks like a 50% bonus. And I think there's a 75 and then there's 100. Yes. Uh, but again, each of those requires space on the map. So, I mean, if you're going to get that far along the, uh, you know, building tree, you're going to have to give up on something else, but I'm with you, Rowan. Like I, I've, I've definitely found myself sort of, um, you know, basically forced into thwarting my own plans for having this like super specialized, efficient economy, uh, and I've I've had to make some really depressing sacrifices of my ideal uh, like civilization layout uh, just to you know just to keep the lights on, basically. Now, do you find that you're doing that because of circumstances that arise in the game, or from the fact that the way you've planned out your cities, the way you've planned out your army development? You just find yourself running into a resource clog. Well, I guess the first thing to admit to you both is that part of it is I, I tend to play a little bit of a coward. Um, <laughs> so I, I pay off a lot of protection money, uh, okay. more, more than I frankly should. I've, I've been playing it up on. I've, I've been playing it um, up on challenging. Yeah. I think, and, and maybe I should tone it down while, while I'm learning the game. But it, it definitely seems like. It definitely seems like a lot, of the, a lot of the other civs come along and just start, like, pushing me around. And it's usually cheaper to buy them out. Uh, but then when, you know, when the shit hits the fan, suddenly I wish I had that 100 gold or something because that could buy me a really good unit. Or, you know, five turns later they're asking for more and it's just at a ridiculous point. I, I started by basically accepting anything they said and then I realized that they were just taking all my money, so... I, it's a, it's like if I have a hundred gold and they ask for fifty, then maybe I'll say yes. But if it's anything more than that, I just say no because they're going to declare war on me anyway. So, yeah, I, I I found that I generally just 
accept the war option whenever they do, and then just kind of gird myself to see if I could take it. And it's pretty rare that you get like two ganging up on you, at least on the maps that I have played. Oh, so that it's not a. Oh man, I get I get ganged up on all the time. Like I, I'm I'm in like one of those high school movies, right? Like I'm in like My Bodyguard or whatever, where it's like I'm just getting my ass kicked by everybody. Like you know, the red guy shows up, he's like, "Hey, nice man, I got there," and then someone else is coming, like hand out for gold. Um, so I definitely get sort of bounced around. Uh, a little bit, and eventually it does hit a point where, yeah, it's, it, it's clear that if I give you know this payment, I'm basically disarming myself in advance of a war. I've got um, I'm playing a game on Impossible right now, and within 15 terms, I had I had um, one Civ declare wanting to declare war on me if I didn't pay their production money, and I would say now about 100 turns later, I've got three now coming at me, and I've. I found that the ganging up on you depends on how much space you have in between your empires as when things get set out. Um, in this game that I'm playing right now, I had one right next to me, and then I had another that was fairly close. And as they expanded, they declared war on me. Well, there's the there's the difference between whether they're declaring war on you and whether they're actually attacking you. And this was one yeah. of the, the oddities of the game, is that sometimes the AI is extraordinarily aggressive and sometimes the AI is monumentally stupid and I, I think they've calmed down the monumentally stupid I paid most of it about when it was released and uh, it seems to be a little better now that I'm playing um, after a few patches but at the time it was like okay this this enemy would drop you know 10 different armies on me out of nowhere take one of my cities and then just leave the city take all their armies walk away, let me take the city right back. It's just, I, I had no idea like what their what they were programmed to think strategy was. You know, I, I have noticed, you know, that was certainly a problem at release and a few weeks after release, but it, it's getting better. Um, the, the AI is, you know, especially playing on Impossible when they have all those advantages when they start. They start with more things unlocked and they start with more money and they start with more mana. Um, they definitely start to use it. Yeah, I, I've also noticed that they're upgrading their troops, which was the big problem with the release AI, was that they would just make tons of crappy troops, and as soon as you got some minotaurs or trolls, you could just walk right through them. Yeah, and, that's not the case anymore. <laughs> yeah, now now I'm seeing them having minotaurs and veterans, and that was a surprise. Well, something that I saw the AI do... Uh, just today that actually really impressed the hell out of me was we had this like really brutal stalemate going along uh, this new border where they declared war on me and I'd landed a an amphibious assault right on top of one of their major cities and I kind of ninja'd it uh, I was probably I'm probably outgunned in this war but I was able to sort of like sneak the city out from under them uh, but I was sort of surrounded by their city so it turned this bloody stalemate where I'm basically it's like sort of a Gallipoli situation I guess I'm, just, I'm sort of slogging it out <laughs> on these shorelines they can't make progress and kick me off I can't make progress inland so what the AI starts doing is it starts building it starts fortress hopping. It starts building fortresses closer and closer and closer to the border. So that suddenly, I had all this room to operate around the city I'd captured. And it starts, like, plunking these forts down that can fire, I think, what, the range is like two hexes? Three? Two hexes. Regular or forts are two and magic are three. 
Yeah. So it starts it starts creeping them forward until basically now the guy can shoot well he can shoot right on my city uh, but he can also shoot pretty much all my units that aren't basically sitting right there on the uh, on the farther shore uh, so it was just it was this really it was this really cool like you know it, it, it was just it was really cool to see the AI use fortifications offensively to basically strangle me and deny me the ability to um, you know, operate in that foothold I had. I wonder if that was a total accident or something intentional from the AI designers. I believe it's intentional because I've had this happen to me too. Um, in fact, the first time I noticed this was playing a game a couple of weeks ago, Rob, and they had built a magic tower and magic was hitting me. And I said, where's that coming from? That's not a spell. That's not a mage. And I said, oh, they've got a tower there in that fog of war I can't see. That wasn't there the last couple turns. And so I sent a unit out there to recon, and there it is. And then a few turns later, there's another. Yeah, so, so I, I, I don't know. It was, just, it was something that, was, that struck me as really cool, because it's the sort of... Um, I mean, you don't, like, usually I don't, see, I don't see AIs use fortifications well, just at all, in general. No, in fact, um, you know, if you think about Civ Five and the fact that it does have fortifications, and its AI never really got the hang of those. Yeah, and to see the AI, you know, kind of just, you know, flip the flip the tea table, I guess, and just say, okay, I'm gonna win this war, you know, this way instead, uh, was 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 really exciting. Like, because at first I didn't know what was happening, because you just see the construction pile, and I mouse over it, and I'm like, oh shit, that's gonna that's gonna screw things up. Uh, so, so that that was that was really pleasing. Um, beyond that, it, it is a it is a little tough to tell how the AI is doing with like troop management. I do know so it, it seems pretty good about like attacking in force, but there are also times it just seems to be like. Well, I guess you can't judge it for like not prosecuting a war because sometimes this is this is again the the weird thing with like diplomacy. Uh, well, in the, in a lot of ways, there is no diplomacy. No. I guess is, is the way I'd put it. It, it. The diplomacy pretty much is you know they're shaking you down for resources, and, and that pretty much comes down to it. There, there is one thing that, um, especially when compared to civilization, that Warlock does well is it has the AIs fight each other, which I always got so frustrated with so many different versions of civilization where the AI would only attack me occasionally, and. Here in this game, you see them constantly at war with one another. Yeah, be, be it the AI civs or the neutrals. Yeah, the, the neutrals are also an interesting aspect of that. The neutrals are great. I love the neutrals. These are, these are. You don't have the interaction with them like you would with the city states in Civ Five, but these neutrals do things, and I I really like that. And sometimes they throw off your plans because they start attacking you, or you find them occupying an area you, you you really want to be in, but you don't really have the force or are willing to expend the force necessary to take that city. Well, and it makes for a really cool early game situation where, uh, like, if you notice other another AI faction's troops, like, hanging around a neutral, uh, you know, then it suddenly becomes this race where it's like, you know, how close is he to capturing the city? And so you might have to... You know, sort of throw your uh, original early game plans under the bus, and uh, you know, try to capture this thing before your enemy is able to sort of get a foothold closer to your border. Um, it reminds me a lot of, um, and I, I should, I should 
offer a tip of the hat to Tom Chick here because he actually brought up similarities, the similarities uh, between Warlock and Kohan. But once he pointed them out, um, I, I could sort of see them where Kohan also had these neutrals sort of scattered around the map uh, that that do play this interesting role. Like you, you can leave them alone, uh, but it's kind of dangerous to leave them sort of parked, uh, you know, parked behind you because uh, because you, you don't know exactly what they're going to do and you don't know who's going to, uh, you know, finally subjugate them. And the most interesting part of the neutrals for me are the neutrals that come out of the portals. Well, those those portals are weird. I still haven't actually been able to use any of them in the way that they're supposed to, but I really want to. It's it's hard. I, I, I've been able to establish a city on another on another land, but I've never been able to take advantage of the resources I find there because I just get swarmed. Yeah. Oh god. It's it's so cool though. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is this is such a cool idea. So in, in Warlock, you have. <laughs> it's uh, in my in my games. It's usually there's three dimensions, but I think you can have like what up to seven. Yeah, seven on the huge map, I think. Oh my god! Yeah, so you can so so basically you've got your 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 regular map, which is the uh, which is Ardania, and then you've got all these different other dimensions. That I mean, each one seems more menacing and terrifying than the last, uh, to be honest. But they're all really. Uh, a lot of them are really resource rich, but I mean, yeah, I gotta admit, like my forays into the other dimensions have been disasters. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> well, but it's exactly, it's exactly what like, and and this is this is something I, I really admire. There's so many games that will give you this bullshit like illusion of danger, right? Like, who knows what lies beyond the portal? Like, take you know, the Mass Effect thing, right? Where it's like, yeah. oh, nobody's ever used that jump relay before. Oh, look, what's on the other side of the jump jump relay? Same shit. You boxes to hide behind. Yeah, you just shoot it. You just shoot it. It dies. Not that scary. Uh, but but warlock, it's like you go through that portal, and I mean the shit hits the fan. You know from the word go. Like your troops go through the portal, and immediately you don't know where you are. It's totally disorienting, mm-hmm. and you're yeah you do get swarmed because these these worlds react to you almost like you're invading. Like it's almost like you're invading like another organism, right? And its antibodies react to kind of kick you out. And the, and these just aren't, you know, trash antibodies. They're, they're throwing dragons and greater fire elementals and elite vampires at you. Yeah. And a lot of my expeditions end up in this sort of, like, horrible, like, running running gun battle type situation where I've got, like, I'm throwing my meat shields behind me and trying to, like, get some explorers out ahead so I can see if there's a way to get the hell out of here because I can't get back to the original portal because I've already been driven away from that so now it's just this desperate attempt to try to get my guys out it reminds me of aliens actually when they're going going into the facility yes that is is perfect actually it's it's a lot (laughs) like that Um, the issue that I have with it is that I'm not sure that it's actually useful to go there and win because if you're so powerful that you can do that and you have the troops to spare that you can do that, then you can probably just win the game on the main world. Yeah, that's the one flaw that I've seen with it because in order to really establish and keep a, and, and, and keep a beachhead there, you really need to have very strong units, very high upgraded units. And there's a good chance that if, if you've reached that point of the game, you're able to handle the AI. Yeah, and I, I gotta admit, like, 
you know, when when I have gone through the portal, I think it's as much the excitement of the idea of the portal as the strategic uh, advantage that it that it offers. Because 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 you are right, Rowan. Like I sent, I, you know, in the end, I, in retrospect, I think it was usually a strategic blunder to send my best troops through there because you know I was throwing them away. But if I kept those, you know, elite veterans back for traditional warfare back in Ardania. I'd have probably been able to take out my opponents. One of the things that I think the game does really well, which kind of ruins the portal thing, but makes it a better strategy game overall, is that you can't really fight two front wars, or eventually three front wars, or whatever. But um, <laughs> no. you you really need to focus all of your units on specific places. And if you start frittering away, like, okay, I'll attack this neutral city here and try to defend against the AI there, no, that doesn't work. You need to go all in on one of them. And that's great, but there's probably always a place that you can go all in that's not one of the portals. And that makes the portals usually, at least in my experience, a waste of time, even though they're really cool. I don't. I, I don't know. And this is this is one of those cases where I where I wish I'd I'd played the game more. And, and maybe you've had different experiences, Jason. What, what I do find is that, you know, in, in you know, I, I tend to find myself in sort of stalemate situations where I can grind against the AIs pretty much endlessly, but it's very hard for me to actually break through their lines, and because cities are pretty tough to take. Uh, and and so I found myself looking at the portals as a way to basically get out of the uh, the, the the economic trap I find myself in, because the the, the thing one of, one of the things about uh, warlock is that you know fighting war of attrition is is not going to work in warlock the way it does in in a lot of other games because just building and maintaining an army but particularly building it is such a tremendous expense. And, you know, especially earlier in the game, the, the advantages that the AI gets on challenging and possible could definitely overcome and make it to where if you try to do a war of attrition, they'll outlast you. Right, because, you know, so I guess the comparison to Civ would be, Civ basically says, like, units cost production. You know, you, you, you basically, you, you collect the minerals, you, you convert those into, into some sort of unit. Um and then the, you, then you have to pay upkeep, but there, there's not really. It's almost like every city has just this like well of of resources and can just pour into constructing new stuff, which makes for very large armies and makes attrition totally viable if you get a strong enough economy. Uh, Warlock really doesn't work that way at all because you basically got to pay massive uh, amounts of gold up front to buy good units, and if that unit dies, that money's gone. And also, the upkeep on the better units is so much higher than it is on the weaker units that you need the elite units in order to survive once your enemies have them. So you're basically having to escalate your economy and your the amount of money that you spend from it in roughly equivalent exponential forms, which is probably the game's single biggest strength. Especially when you start using your gold to also upgrade your units. Because that gets very expensive quick, especially if you have a large army. Yeah, that's that's another thing. The way that the the resources are used in order to create different um, different benefits for your armies, which also means that each of your cities, which have access to certain resources, should be used for. You know, you you find one that has a uh, um, 
stronger uh, silver. Well, that has silver, which is one of the stronger resources for making your magic troops. So you want to build the magic troops there and use the iron for other ones. Um, but that might totally bust your initial city building strategy once you discover that, and then you're wasting your time on building multiples of the same buildings when you're only going to use them here and there. So it, it keeps those decisions um, in a constant form. And what's really great about so many of those resources is the game gives you two choices of how you want to use it. I really like that. Yeah, uh, John Schaefer's brought this up, I think, because I think John Schaefer's been making the rounds of uh, a, a lot of different podcasts, and we were talking about it a, a couple weekends ago. But that's one of the things he specifically cited about this game, where yeah, each each of the special resources poses this choice where they can do, they can do two very different things. And so, like, I think silver, what is it? Like, one of it is it provides... One of it, it provides, like, really good armor or something, and then the other one is... Is it weapons or is it, like, money? Well, th- okay, there's there's actually another dimension here, which is which of the races that you're using. Yes. If you're using yeah. humans, you can only have the weapons or the mine. If you're using the monsters and perhaps the undead, then you can have the mine or a... a bu- a non-weapon buff for your units. It's like the silver alchemist's brew or something. Yeah, or you know, with the magic nodes, you can get you can get you know a place to boost your magic, or you can put a magic farm that gives you a smaller boost to the magic, but also gives you a boost to your food. And yeah, these change depending on which which race the city is, and right the which race the cities are to helps to change like how your empire gets formed because they travel faster connected to um, each of their cities so goblins will run between goblin cities a lot faster and humans will run between goblin cities and i don't think i don't think you can go back and like once you use a hex you can't change what you built on that hex right there's a spell, or there are several spells that let you destroy buildings, but I don't know if they let you destroy your own buildings. Yeah, yeah you could click it off of it, and it doesn't cost you anything. But it, yeah, it you, shuts down the upkeep. Yeah, but I haven't been—I haven't seen a way other than you know an enemy minotaur landing on a space and you know raising it. <laughs> right. I haven't seen any other way to destroy a hex yet. And and this is what I mean about those decisions having like real consequence and like. Making an expedient decision early on can totally screw you down the road because now you really wish you had those hexes tasked over for something else. At that point, the only way to fix it, really, is to destroy the city uh, entirely. And you might not want to do that. Um, And actually, another reason, another thing that kept me from sort of building my optimal city arrangements was uh, the early game land rush. Uh, because the AI is really aggressive about well, it does that sieve thing right? Where like mm-hmm. if you leave one hex open, uh, they will plop a city down there and break up your empire, and it'll be really annoying. Uh, so so a lot of times you do have this motivation to sort of race and and throw your cities down uh, haphazardly, but then they might actually start crowding each other a little bit in the mid game, and now it's like well, which one of the which ones do you destroy? That's also an improvement from the initial release where. The game was basically won by overwhelming the AI by building a bunch of cities, and now the AI will race you pretty competently for that. One thing I've, one thing I've been impressed with is just how the, the patches are really improving the gameplay from what released. Yeah, yeah, I, miss, I missed the release in, in, entirely, so I wasn't able to play it until probably you know a couple weeks after it came out. It's It's been noticeably 
uh, fixed. Yeah, it was mind-numbingly easy at first. But, um, you know, patch after patch, you, you can start seeing more nuance coming in with the way, and, and more ways that the AI would use strategy and use the systems in the game to get you. And it's been really nice to see that. Uh, because, as we know, not all Paradox strategy games are made equally. <laughs> yeah, especially Paradox Published. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of a crapshoot. Uh, no, but that that that's that's really great, uh, especially because especially to see the game actually become uh, really satisfyingly challenging uh, post release. Because a lot of times, like, because if there because if there's one patch that tends never to show up, it's the patch to make the AI stop playing like shit. Um, <laughs> like st- stability will be fixed, bugs will be fixed, but you know, like you'll get patch after patch promising like, oh, the AI is gonna be so much better after this patch. No. It's still it's still pretty weak, but here having having missed that having missed those early days when I'm playing what I've been playing is a pretty a pretty severe strategy game uh, in, in a lot of ways uh, and and again playing it on sort of the harder difficulties probably um, I'm probably screwing myself a little bit because it, it definitely seems like challenging is a little more sadistic than than maybe I'm ready for but it, it's certainly it's certainly uh you know pushing me hard. The game is very good at pushing you. It, it it really keeps you making those decisions on do you stick to your plan or you do adjust to what you're seeing the other guy do or do you have faith in the tactics that you've established already? So, the, but but Jason, did you ever did you ever find yourself forced to go through the portals and win the war that way? Uh, no, I haven't found myself forced. Um, I had one game where I never, fa- I didn't find the AI for a long time. I was playing on one of the huge maps, and I, I had a uh, portal very close to my starting city. And so after I built up for a while, and I had only found one AI, I was playing against four. I said, okay, well, you know, let's go here and let's see if we can establish a, a toehold, which I did. And I had, a, I actually built a city and tried to start taking advantage of the resources, but the AI monsters, the neutral monsters that were in that plane were just overwhelming, and I couldn't keep it up. Um, so, I would say for the you know the games I've won, it has been an instant win. Uh, for the games I've lost, uh, I know there's been a couple that I've lost because I concentrated too much on trying to get into one of those portals. Um, sometimes because I wanted to exploit, sometimes because I wanted to stop the goddamn greater fire elementals from coming out and blasting my troops. Yeah, I, I found those. I found I could shut the the portals down because yeah, the portals work both ways. Like mob, they will spit out mobs uh, into your world, and it, it can sometimes it's just a nuisance mob, but sometimes it's it's pretty serious. Um, that said, that's I, I usually I usually got around that by like you know maybe having a magic tower parked near a portal, um, but if all your troops are sort of abroad. Uh, then that magic tower can be doing, able to do much. No, no, um, it needs. So in, in that case, it needs support. But I do think that, that it's disappointing, though, to hear that like the 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 portals haven't been really serving a a great strategic role. And I think one reason for that, uh, you know, it isn't just the expense of the units, uh, but veterancy is so overwhelmingly crucial in uh, Warlock. That I mean, you know, just setting the expense of of, of the initial payment on your units aside, uh, if you've got, 
you know, if you've got a unit that's been with you for, you know, a, a few campaigns, basically, if you lose that thing, you've just lost a tremendous amount of firepower. And that makes it really... Uh, it makes me play very cautiously with my troops, which is which is really cool. I like that. It, you know, it's nice and demanding. But the flip side of that is, you know, when you've got a game that encourages really risk-averse play, and through the portals you get nothing but risk. Um, you know, then then it's sort of discouraging you from maybe doing one of the X's uh, exploration. Yes, yes. Um, I, I I found that you know, I wholeheartedly agree that veterancy is very important in this you know kind of like the way wars used to be fought where veteran troops really made a huge amount of difference and i I suppose veteran troops still make a huge amount of difference in war today um and, and you know once you have someone built up and they're starting to get some you know either levels that they've gained and you know abilities they've gained from levels or upgrades that they've gotten either through spells that you've cast upon them or other buffs that they've gotten from from the resources uh when you lose one it, it it's it can be really really tough on your army especially if one or two of those units were the center point of your um you know sortie force yeah and, and some of the veteran abilities uh stack in, in really cool ways like uh clerics become uh, well, they, well, they basically, you know, play their class role in a lot of ways. They they cast auras that can really uh, help a help protect the force they're they're, they're assigned to. Uh, but it, so if you've got veteran, you know, if you've got a couple veteran clerics, you can basically have them uh, casting an aura that will help your army uh, take way less damage from ranged units. For interesting, so they're able to clo- for 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 example, so they're able to close the distance and uh, you know. Get get right in enemy archers' faces or storm storm enemy fortresses, which is great. But yeah, if you if you lose that if you lose that like level five cleric or whatever, um, suddenly your army didn't just get weaker by cleric. Suddenly everyone's taking much more damage. I haven't actually gotten a cleric up to that point, so I'll try a little harder with that. <laughs> it, it was all part of my glorious stalemate, Rowan. It was, I had units doing things I could not believe. Like by the end, it was like three guys holding on, but they were unkillable. Now, 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 uh, it sounds like you fought a lot of stalemates, Rob. So far, uh, what do you think of that that aspect of the game? I found that in a lot of games I've played, stalemates are just something that happen, and they happen quite often. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think it's by accident that I sort of reach back to a World, World War One reference to describe some of the stuff that's happened to me in this game. Defense is really strong. Yes. Uh, fortresses are not... You know, like, forts and civilization kind of aren't that useful. Like, once in a while you'll see them used to really good effect, like if they're controlling a uh, land bridge, for instance. Somebody parks a defensive unit on a fort controlling a land bridge. Uh, it's game over. That's going to be really tough. Uh, but here, forts are really active on uh, active defense platforms. And so if you've got the AI that's not shy about throwing a few fortresses down, uh, plus the cities themselves have their own firepower, so now you can basically have one city defended by one unit and, say, two fortresses. So you've got four things that are going to be fighting uh you know, with with some pretty serious firepower, uh, whatever gets sent against them, uh, for the price of one unit. And, and then you throw in um, your mage spells that you get every. Oh, oh Jesus! Yes, turn, we haven't even can, gotten to that. 
you could really find yourself into into you know I really think when when I'm doing a lot of the combat I'm really thinking a lot about World War One uh, and you know just, just the the great stalemate that happened in that war could could happen so easily in this game and it can even happen when you throw a lot of units into the mix as well. Well, and you've got that, especially then, and the, the rule of one example works too, because so often, like, yeah, the spells function as artillery. So if you concentrate for the massed attack to break through those defenses, um, boy, if the enemy gets line of sight and drops an area of effect spell on you that's really powerful, uh, you're hosed. And the, and and just sort of, just like in 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 Civ Five, really, like. You know, it's a kind of big map, but I'll tell you, the hexes are pretty big, too. And so the battlefields don't have that much room to maneuver. You know, if you've got if you've got an area of effect that's going to strike, uh, you know, one hex and then all the hexes adjacent to it, uh, you've just pretty much shut down the majority of the battlefield in a lot and of ways. I don't, I don't know if this is just something that's been happening to me a couple times in a row, um, or if this is actually something he does on the Challenging and Impossible, but I found that a lot of the, especially the starter cities, are put around mountain terrain and volcano terrain and other terrain that makes it not only slow to go to get through to it, but also gives you know some major bonuses to unit. Hey, the way that the terrain is set up, whatever random generator they have, it does some interesting, simple things. I'm not sure if it's actually the generator or just that, you know, they have interesting effects of their land, but uh, that's one of the subtle aspects of the game that I think really works well. Uh, what do, what do you mean by by interesting things? Um, just like you'll find a neutral city that's on a land bridge, or it's you know there's one pass that leads to it directly, or you can send a bunch of your troops around a mountain range, and if you try and send you know your early unit troops through that one little pass, there's not quite enough. You might get into a stalemate, so you end up having to think strategically and send the bulk of your army around while you have one, like, holding down the fort's fire until you can get your whole army lined up there. It's not just like, okay, I have five armies, I'm going to go knock this thing out. Sometimes you really have to ponder what you're going to do in order to accomplish that. That's that's a really good point. When I think, uh, think back in my time with the game... Um... You know, sort of like in Panzer General, Panzer Corps type games, there's that puzzle aspect, right? But the mm-hmm. trouble with those games is the puzzle's preset. Like, you're going to basically run that scenario a few times until you figure it out and know where things are. And then you're going to, like, unravel the puzzle. But here it's all dynamically generated, but you still get that, yeah, you still get those really thorny problems where you're looking at the geography and you're saying, okay, so the obvious way is close to me. So how do I unlock this position? Uh, which which is which is really cool, um, but boy, now that I think of it, though, I ha- I have had an awful lot of stalemate too. Mm-hmm. And the seas are deadly, you know. Unlike in other games, where the only thing you might find in an ocean would be an enemy unit from another of the AI civs. Oh, kraken! Oh yes, you gotta really watch out for those krakens. And the sea serpents, and you know, sometimes you'll find serpents flying from some generator on another continent. That at the same time, though, I've I've actually, 
you know, I've, I've basically just played humans so far, but they have some pretty good naval units. And uh, so for me, like, the seas are good. Like, my forces are really strong near the sea because if you build, like, a few galleons, uh, their shore bombardment's really powerful. And uh, once they level up a few times, they're more than a match for any uh, krakens they might find. Now, now, do you, now, Rowan, do you have a faction that you favor, or have you just been experimenting with all of them? I've usually been human, but I, the game that I've been playing that I'm actually doing better than most of the others that I had is the monster faction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, I played a lot of my, my earlier games with the, um, with, with the undead. And now I've been playing the humans more, and I've tried the goblins a little bit more than I had earlier, too. Uh, and what I really like is the balance between each of the three factions. Yeah, it does keep things interesting. I, I wanted to go back for a second to what Rob was talking about with the naval units, and mm-hmm. this is one of the odd things about the game, is that while you can build these powerful naval units, the water tiles themselves are pretty much useless for your cities. So, like, in Civilization, if you had a city that's um, half on water, half on land, or, you know, the tiles that it can reach are half and half, then you that's a pretty good setup just in general. But here, all those water tiles are, they, there's nothing you can do with them except maybe build a ship on them. On the ones adjacent to land, you can build a fish a fishing village, but that's about it. Yeah, you, I mean, you have advantages if you can reach the ones that, if you can reach the land that touches the water, fishing villages and harbors and so on. The water itself right. is not yeah. useful at all. There's no, there's no you know, fishing nets that you can build. There's no oysters to harvest or whatever. Yeah, the, no, the only thing you can do is, you know, harvest the monsters. Yeah, and that's... Uh, there's plenty of those to go around anyway. <laughs> but at the same time, though, I, I would say, I mean, the, the value for for the ocean tiles... Yeah, the ocean tiles themselves aren't, aren't, aren't really useful. But because, like in Civilization Five, there's no stacking, for instance... Uh, whenever whenever it comes time to make some kind of landing, you run into a real question of space. And, and I guess that's what uh, Warlock so often comes down to, is just a matter of like pure real estate. Like, do you have room to do this? And so, you know, what, 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 what Shoreline, what controlling Shoreline does is it really eliminates your, your vulnerability. Because to, to land a meaningful force, you don't just need, like, two hexes that you can run up to and, like, dump a transport off. You need, like, four or five, beach, like, beach hexes where you can land. And if you can, if you can spot that out, and if you've got, like, you know, naval units on patrol, uh, you've got, you got a huge advantage. And the AI attempts to do that. Yep. Uh, it, I'm, I'm definitely discovering that in the game I'm playing right now. It seems really odd in a 4X game like this to actually have to worry about defense. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That's it, just one of the ways that the, the genre is built is that if you're winning, especially if you're winning militarily, you're in a constant state of expansion and you're not in a state in games like Civilization or Master of Magic or Heroes of Might and Magic or whatever. Um, if you get to the point where you're not expanding and if you're constantly defending, you're probably losing. Whereas in this, you actually have to pay attention to that. Yeah, and that even goes for, um, you know, space 4X games like Sword of the Stars. You know, you're constantly on the move. You're constantly 
pushing out your military and with the exception of maybe you know some random aliens that pop up and have some menace you know defense is also something to really don't need to worry about if you're continuing to press the attack but in, in warlock defense is exceedingly important that's that's an interesting observation i'm not entirely sure i i, I necessarily agree with that uh about about the the nature of the genre I mean, because I, I can definitely think of a lot of Civ games where, like, a lot of times what you end up in, in Civilization is you're not the most powerful faction, necessarily. Uh, you're sort of trying to fly under the radar in, like, the two or three spot. And so there's usually somebody in my games who can crush me. So I have to... I do have to watch, you know... I, I have to look after the, def- the defensive angle. Um... But 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 at the same time, I, I, I do know what you mean. Like, usually you're also able to be kicking the crap out of somebody the the one thing that i i do wish though in warlock was was that there was some other you know there are more avenues to victory than just you know basically war i mean you could cast the unity spell or you could command enough of the holy ground on a given map and but that's really the only other two options i know of yeah and so basically there you've got the you've got the wonder victory and the uh control point victory right yeah and then extermination and I, you know, I really wish there were there were more ways to to win, but I, no, that's not the game Warlock is. No, and I, I kind of feel the same way about diplomacy. Like, I wish there were some room for some kind of like cooperation, or at least something better than the, you know, basically really temporary uh, peace treaties you get with people. Like, it, it, it it's not that meaningful. Have have either of you had an AI offer an alliance to you yet? I had one game where that happened a couple times, but that's definitely the exception. I yeah. bribed an AI into giving me an alliance, <laughs> uh, and then it that lasted for about like twenty turns, and then it was like, you know, I, I got involved in the war. It was like peace out. <laughs> so you know, we haven't talked much about spellcasting yet. Um, you know, you know what is? No, that's a really good point. You know, what does the spellcasting do to this that's really different than other 4X games? Well, I, I, you know, from my experience, the, the first thing it does is Warlock's really devilishly good at causing you to forget you're playing a fantasy 4X. And so you start looking at the map, and, you, like, I find myself thinking all the time, like, okay, if I just flank here and move these guys up here, and, okay, I'll do all this stuff. And then I forget, like, oh wait, that that guy has spells that he can use to, uh, you know, basically roll me back to kick my ass. So I forget that, and then I'm reminded, like, oh shit, that's right, there's magic in this game. <laughs> or alternately, there are five boats attacking you, and you realize, oh, I can just drop fu- a couple fireballs on them, and there will only be two boats attacking me. But I think what what Warlock does that's really smart, and I, and I love this because it's, it's it solves a problem that so many other people have uh, really tried and failed to solve, which is how to make magic uh, strategically interesting, uh, tactically interesting. I guess I, guess I should say uh, because like both, I think. Yeah, it is. Especially because you got you got like basically at will powers you can use, and then you got longer spells. But it comes down to casting time, right? Mm-hmm. Like. Uh, and this was this was I think where uh, elemental really let itself down when you were fighting the tactical battles. Um, and it's not just I mean it, to an extent it was sort of going from the uh, here's my magic example where you just open your spell book and you've got like all these different flavors of like buffs or destruction magic. But if you had the mana, you could just blow it. 
So, mm-hmm. you know, if you, just just burn it. Like, give that guy uh, iron skin. Hit that guy with the lightning bolt. Who cares? Use it willy-nilly until you're out of mana. Uh, don't bother saving any, because, you know, you'll, it'll all be restored next battle. Here, you, here it does two things that I think are really clever. One is, like, mana collection. Like, you need the mana to power your spells. You buy your spells with mana, and your civilization powers that by collecting mana. The other thing it does is it... More powerful spells have lengthy casting times. So if you, like... You've got to anticipate what you're going to need. And yet you can't get married to the idea of, like, unleashing a really devastating, like, uh, fire strike. uh, That's going to wipe out a ton of units. Because if that opportunity doesn't present itself, your spell slot is occupied by the spell that you can't use until the right moment. You'd be better off going to plan B and using something cheaper but more effective. And, and then the, the third thing to that is, uh, you know, especially with the undead faction, you've got units that feed off the mana, and instead of using food, they use mana as their maintenance. I think this is one of the things that Warlock generally does well. Um, it creates a bunch of choices that are all viable and all interesting and all different, because in, in any given turn, you can cast like six different spells that will be useful, but you can only cast one of them. So, And, like, it's hard to say if healing one unit or buffing another unit might be the better thing to do, but you have that chance to make a similar decision next turn, and that's kind of how it goes with building your cities. Like, whether you build the farm or the gold isn't going to damage you too much, um, but it will affect your choices in the next turn. And um, have any... Have either of you had a chance to try to do spell combos? Uh, no, I'm not. Combos? Yeah. Um, you know, the the game has combos, but it doesn't tell you how to use them. And I discovered this quite accidentally. Um, I had a unit that was protected with a um, melee resistance buff, and I cast a lightning bolt by it, and the lightning bolt turned from a single space to an area of effect spell. Wait, what? Yeah. That doesn't even make sense. I noticed there was one that I got the Fist of Chrome attack that said that if it, it, it hit a frozen unit, it would shatter it. So yeah. I guess I have seen those combos. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm sure somebody on the forums or somewhere on the internet has a list of the spells that could lead to these combos. Um, but that gives you another th- aspect to the magic to look into is, you know, planning your spells and thinking, okay, now... How do these spells work together? Hmm. I want uh, boy. I, w- I really wonder if they thought of that. If they would have thought of that, if Magicka hadn't come out. Now that kind of thing has happened in a bunch of different games. Like going back to Chrono Trigger and Fantasy Star Four for role playing games. I think that you you see these these interconnected things. Magicka obviously might have you know put it in their mind. Yeah, but. it's used in the role playing systems as well, but. Yeah, but I haven't seen it in too much in games, but I don't play JRPGs, uh, so it sounds like it's more... <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't. One of the things that uh, you kind of talked about the other side of, but I think is most interesting about this, is that you have to consider space, but you have to consider space because the game keeps time so rigidly. And we touched on this with the spell casting times, where you can only cast one per turn, or sometimes they ca- take two or three turns to cast. Um your cities are built, or your cities build themselves up according to um, basically 
um, the amount of turns. You can slightly increase it if you cast certain spells, and um, it decreases with races that are not your wizard's preferred race. But in general, you don't have the ability to create a super city all of the sudden by improving, making specific improvements. Those improvements only go towards improving your economy. And I think that might be the single most important from component of making Warlock Warlock strategy successful is that you can't speed ahead on the most important thing, which is your your economic engines that are that's your cities. Now do you find that you use the spells that boost your gold production or your population production very often? Oh yes, those are the ones that I try to aim for first, especially if um, you know they're not on my capital yet. But here's another thing which ties into this a little bit: is that the research seems almost totally random. Like I've only had food production buff spells appear on my current game. I haven't seen any of the population or gold or uh, mana buffs, so I'm basically forced to go more physical with. Uh, how I'm dealing with these things instead yeah. of more magical. Yeah, and you know, over the hundred hours I've played it, I, I still don't see any rhyme or reason to the to the research and how one spell leads to another. It all seems random to me. I think it is random, and I think that's kind of cool. Well, that's that's one of the criticisms I, I've read most often about this game is that a, a lot of reviewers seem really kind of annoyed that there's not a sort of traditional tech tree uh, that that you can sort of map out. And play around with. Uh, so I'm interested to hear you guys uh, kind of digging on a uh, randomized uh, magical tech tree. Or if it's not randomized, it's it's at least operating to a logic that I can't quite discern yet myself. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone's discerning yet. Um, you know, it's not bothering me as much as I was bothered by it at first. Um, to, to me, it's it's a curiosity. Uh, you know, is there some system there that I have not seen yet? that's underlying it or is it really all just random and i, I kind of like that you know at first i didn't i didn't care for it you know especially over the first couple weeks but now as i've been doing it it's like okay well let's research this spell which is going to be useful and let's see what replaces it you know it it, it, it kind of reminds me of a slot machine and i know you don't want to depend on that kind of a mechanic in a strategy game but you know it's kind of fun I think that it's not that important in this game. Like, if this were Civilization, or to use a classic example, Alpha Centauri had the default tech mode where you just kind of clicked on the sort of thing that you wanted, and I hated that. Like, as soon as I discovered that I could turn that off, I loved that game so much more. Whereas (laughs) here, the tech tree is not the most important thing. Your spells, you're going to have some buff spells, you're going to have some global buff spells, you're going to have some healing spells, and you're going to have some attack spells, and some summon spells. And which ones of those are something of a crapshoot, but the strategic core of the game is not built on the technology of those spells. The strategic core of the game is how you use your units and how you build your economy. So that just kind of adds a chaotic aspect to a fairly constrained whole. So... Jason, you've you've played the game more than any of us. You're you're in the hundred. You're, you're you've broken the hundred hour mark, and 
I guess I, I, I'm curious to hear what your experience has been. Like, we, we've talked about all these things in this game that are really cool. There are all these really cool ideas. My experience has been maybe a little too much attrition. Um, you guys both seem to be saying that uh, the planes are a really cool idea, but strategically they're not really... They're actually kind of a sucker's game to, to go through uh, the portals. At this point, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean... So here's my question for you. All these cool elements, um, does the game really hang together? I think it does. I think it does because, like, what I really love in strategy games is that I don't want one game to be the same as the next one I play. And I, I really like that even though you might use some of the same tactics to for your units... And for the way you go out and do things, every game really does play differently. And some of that is because of the randomness of the magic. Some of it is just because of this really great balance that I'm seeing between the three factions. Um, I'm hoping that they'll add more factions. Uh, but the, the first piece of DLC was just a new mage who came with a new ability and a, a new building that could be constructed on a resource space. Uh, not an entirely new faction. Um, and for me, it, it, it remains a very fun thing. Now, granted, I love fantasy. Fantasy RPGs are my favorite games there are. Uh, I read a lot of fantasy novels. So I'm really into that. And But I think you throw these mechanics and you throw the, the balance that it has and the ideas it has in another genre, I would still be enjoying this game. And... Um, I'm very surprised by that. I didn't think I would be putting that much time into it. And part of that is, okay, well, you know, it's I really enjoyed it. I think it's a lot of fun. And But I'm also wondering, part of that is also, you know, there's just not much else out there at the moment that's really interesting. Um, we touched on this before we started recording, but, you know, Dab of 3 is not resonating with me the way I thought it would. And, you know, we're definitely in the summer drought now. Yeah, I can, I can, I can see a bit of that, but, but honestly, like, um, yeah, I, I don't think this is, I don't think this is for lack of better options, uh, a, a, at all, really. Yeah. Uh, because, because, like, it's just, I mean, it, it just, it, it's, it's a really enjoyable strategy game, and I think in part, like, you know, we, we, we talked about the resemblance to Civilization uh, Five at the start, um. And it's got a lot of meaningful differences, uh, but between between it and and Civ Five, but they're both they're both you know built on a, on a really solid foundation. Like this, the, the, the Warlock definitely goes to school on on uh, civilization, and then a lot of fantasy strategy games. And it's sort of um, in a lot of ways, Warlock reminds like seems like a game that really answers a lot of the criticisms uh, that are traditionally leveled against these games. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I see in it and keeps it interesting beyond simply fun to play is that um, it kind of takes a different direction as to how a fantasy strategy game could go in the way that it handles its economy. Like, it presents its economy so simply. It has these tactical battles or tactical considerations on a strategic battlefield as opposed to the straightforward tactical battles that you get in, like, Master of Magic or Age of Wonders. And it simplifies these things, and in so doing, it kind of accents like what really works about this style of game. And in a few cases, it's what doesn't entirely work about this style of game. 
Um, and there's a lot more good than bad. In particular, the things we brought up tonight, the things that may not really work, it comes back to, you know, I guess, issues of balance. And balance is such a tricky concept in strategy games, because I, th- I think we've talked about this in the show before. Sometimes the idea of balance becomes a bit of a design prison uh, in some ways. Like, when, when I think about like things that give this game its character, like my excitement at going through the portals, for instance... We've kind of decided, like, strategically, that's that's not a wise move. Like, there's not a lot of really great reasons to push you through those portals. And that's disappointing to me. But at the same time, like, I, I do like the idea... I, I do like that there's this really this really hard thing that's sitting out there uh, for you to do. Like, this alternate path. It's a harder road. Um, I, ideally, I guess it would encourage you to use that a little more organically. There'd be, like, a winning play to make there. Uh you know, but 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 setting that aside, like you know the way the way defense is favored, the way the portals are so hard, like a lot of the things that give this game kind of a unique character that's exciting to me, uh, are also ways it kind of fails at being a traditionally balanced strategy game. <laughs> Another a kind of reverse of that, uh, a way that the game it doesn't give information, and giving information is one of the. Uh, doesn't give some specific information. One of the ways yeah. that strategy games traditionally are built is give as much information as possible. When civilization, like, you can turn on an overlay that shows how many, uh, how much your economy will improve on each different little tile of the map. And that's not necessarily the case here. Um, and, the, and the biggest one is that there's a almost total lack of information about who's winning the game. Um, you don't have sets of charts that show who has the biggest city, who has the biggest army, who has the highest literacy rate, who has the most <laughs> points, uh, who's going into the Hall of Fame, or whatever. Yeah, at the end there's no score. Yeah, and this actually helps the game because you don't sit there and say, okay, I'm surrounded by three different enemies and I don't know which one of them I should attack, so I can, I'll just pick the weakest one. It's that you have to continually make those decisions on a not a macro level. You have to say, okay, this is the city that I need to take, and I'm going to go for it, and this is the city that I have to defend. And I think that actually really helps lessen one of the issues I have with the 4X games in general, is that once you get ahead, you're ahead and you're going to win. Or once you get behind, there's no way you can catch up. And in this, you don't know if you're ahead or behind. Well, sometimes you'll know if you're way ahead or way behind. But yeah. in general, the defensive level of the the defensive nature of it and the lack of information combined to make the game interesting to play throughout. And you know that's a really good point, Rowan, uh, that you don't know, and that also encourages you to actually go out and recon. And I really yes. like that. Well, and. It encourages you to stay in the game. I mean, a lot of times what happens to me in the 4X uh, you know, space is that I have a really good sense of when the game is going to shit. Uh, because the game is constantly telling me, like, you know you're in last place, right? Like, you probably, <laughs> you know, like oh, Thucydides is here, and his report says you should basically quit. Um, whereas this game, like... So there's attrition wars I'm talking about, where suddenly, like, you can't break through the front line and there is no reconnaissance. So you're just, like, grinding your way forward or something. And you're just... You have no idea whether or not 
you know, they're at the end of their tether, and after this next wave of enemies or something, you're going to be able to break into the open field and start, like, taking cities. You have no idea. But that leads... In a way, at least, this really cool feeling that all of this really matters a great deal. So often the forex, you get the sense of the foregone conclusion one way or the other, because you're exactly right, Rowan. The game's told you so much about the state of play. Warlock is like, you know, if you don't see it, you don't know it. And so you've just got to basically, you know, you basically got to go in and give it your all, because you have no idea whether or not the situation really is as dire as it looks. And it leads to kind of this cool uh, suspense that I think is really appropriate in particular to, like, a fantasy setting, uh, where, you know, you're just basically taking it on faith uh, that you're that you're working your way toward victory. And another component of that is that because the spells, which are roughly equivalent to tech, are so random, you don't know, like, you don't run into an enemy who suddenly got tanks, and you're like, oh, well, clearly that my archers are not going to be sufficient against these tanks, and I need to quit. Um, you know, they have a fireball, you have a lightning bolt. Let's see who wins. Yeah, and while there are more advanced units you can build by having... Uh, you know, cities specialized in in building better units and and have particular upgrades. Uh, well, that matters, and those units are incredibly powerful. Um, it, you don't have that like you know Abrams tank versus the phalanx uh, situation that you get in in four axes, <laughs> uh, where it's like again you should just like don't even try, brother. And you also have the ability to kind of bypass that like. Maybe your enemies can build trolls, which are one of the more powerful of the monster units, and you can't build your equivalent with your humans, but you can build minotaurs because you happen to build a city next to a minotaur labyrinth. And that will let you get the chance to fight them off until you can build your own troll equivalents. Yeah. The, uh, the other thing we haven't talked about, and I know that this has been something that su- drives some of the players crazy, is you know just the character of each of the three factions. Um, I really like them. You know, they, they, they feel so distinct, not based just on their abilities, just based on what they are and the little lines of speech they have. And, and I just find that early charming. I, 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 I still love hearing the goblins, um, archers go, best archers in the world. Did you play uh, majesty? Uh, a little bit, but not enough. This is from okay. the same developers, right? Yeah. It's, no, same it's in the same world, and it uses the, a lot of the same speeches. Um, when the rogues die, they say exactly the same thing that they say when they die in Majesty, which is a completely different style of game. And it's one that I've played a few times and very much enjoyed. So it, it like takes its genericness and makes it a strength. So this is part of the reason that I am kind of charmed by the setting is also that it, it fits with that sort of silly, generic fantasy feeling. And, 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 you know, that's especially a knock that a lot of fantasy games get, is that, oh, it's just generic fantasy. You've got your elves, you've got your dwarves, you've got your humans, and they're fighting orcs and goblins. And and here, you know, they all have a little bit of character. Uh, the Undead, for example, I love the flying galleuses. Uh, these are basically galleons that fly. And they got this ghostly captain voice. And it, they're just... It's just, it, to me, it all just makes the game even more fun. So, it, it sounds to me like we're giving you a pretty strong recommendation here. And I'm looking at Steam. 
And uh, game's regular price is twenty bucks, uh, which is pretty cool. This weekend it's on sale for ten. Uh, is this new no-brainer territory? No-brainer ten, I say. Uh, if you are interested in turn-based strategy, like this is very good turn-based strategy, and that's a very good price. Yeah, I, I do find myself wondering, like, because as I play Warlock, like, I look at Warlock, and it just seems to nail so many of the things that. Uh, that Elemental was trying to do. Like, Elemental, for instance, like was also about like having your cities sort of expand organically across the map and everything. Uh, but it's just like, you know, one of the big uh, criticisms of Elemental was just that, yeah, it didn't have this personality. Uh, and it never really did get into a position where it was a really, like, uh, challenging game where the AI seemed to be really, like, playing the same game that you were. Um, it, it, it does, you know, playing this game, I, I do kind of, like, wonder, like, does this put Fallen Enchantress, uh, which is sort of like the reboot of Elemental, is going to fix a lot of things, does this put uh, Stardock's Fallen Enchantress in a tougher place? I think it does. Um, what I'm really curious about Fallen Enchantress, and I haven't followed its development at all, is, you know, what ideas that Schaefer brought into Civ Five that he might bring into, you know, into, into Elemental. But I, I think... Elemental might have a bigger name among uh, strategy gamers, but I really yeah. Don't. I don't. I don't. I don't think Schaefer's had much to do with uh, w- with Fallen Enchantress either. I, d- I don't. Th- I don't think so. I think most of the uh, most of the Fallen Enchantress stuff I've heard about has been with um, well, how he did Fall from Heaven for Civilization Four. Okay, the Fall for Heaven mod, Derek Paxton. Yeah, that was not a mod that I enjoyed. Oh, you didn't like you didn't like Fall from Heaven. It was. Just like let's throw so many different things in the game, and this was not the thing that I think Civ needed. Civ needed to be constrained and force you to make fewer, more relevant choices. I was a uh, big into the Rise and Fall mod, and Fall from Heaven just seemed to be the total opposite of that. Hmm. And there are components of Warlock that remind me of the Rise mod, so I think that's a. Uh, uh, something interesting. It's, it's very constrained in, in similar fashions. Yeah. But I think I think Warlock is going to be... I, I, I hope Warlock's going to be one of those games that does the slow burn. You know, as more people talk about it, as more people play about it, more people get into it. And I'm hoping, because uh, Paradox has said they're going to patch multiplayer in, and I'm hoping that really helps even spur more people into the game once that shows up. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you can implement it well, I thought Civilization Five multiplayer was pretty. It was pretty good once you got the game going, but I kind of felt like the wrapper wasn't that great. Like, you know what I mean? Like the interface just to get a game fired up uh, was not brilliant. It seemed a little too hard to get into a good match. Um, I don't know. Like matchmaking is always more more than other factor. Like matchmaking seems to be what makes or breaks. Uh, my interest in a multiplayer game. If I have to work too hard to get a, you know, get into a game, uh, I tend to just leave it and focus on single player eventually. Yeah. Oh, in Civilization, I tend to constantly be restarting maps, and that only happens to me occasionally with Warlock. So I think that in terms of the time investment versus having something that's an utter disaster, it'll be a better game. Yeah, and you know. Warlock is really stable as well, and you know I've had I've had a crash once on me. Yeah, I, I haven't had a crash. Another advantage that Warlock has over Civilization is that it actually runs well on my computer. 
Civilization. <laughs> Civilization Five looks great, and I keep like saying, "Okay, this time I'll be able to do a media map." And no, I can't even do a media map. Really? Because I mean, yeah, because because Warlock isn't like Civilization Five gorgeous, but I also think it looks pretty damn good, like you know, comparable. Oh yeah, uh, in a lot of ways. But performance-wise, you notice a big difference. I saw Soren Johnson or Johnson. I don't know if it's. A soft J or Johnson, not, but I think, yeah. Johnson. I saw Sora Johnson say, "Hey, is this Warlock game built on the Civ Five engine? Because it sure looks like it." <laughs> on Twitter, and you know, the, this designer of Civilization Four, who uh, you would think is fairly knowledgeable about the continuation of the of uh, the series, and uh, he can't even tell from the screenshots. But I, it doesn't have all the 3D effects and yeah. stuff that makes Civilization just crash and burn when you get too many units on. Yeah. And I, I've not had any kind of slowdown in Warlock, and Civilization is just a constant battle against slowdown. See, I've never had that problem with Civ, but about, oh gosh, about seven or eight months ago, it just refused to work. And I haven't been able to get to work since. That's an even bigger issue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just can't get Civ 5 to work on my sheet anymore, and I have no idea why. What the hell? Yeah, and, but, you know... And you've tried is... reinstalling, it just doesn't... No oh, yeah, is. no, I mean, I've been through all kinds of things with the, with the 2K folk, and, you know, no solution. And... That is outrageously frustrating. Yeah, but you know what? I don't miss it. Oh dear! <laughs> I thought I would, but I'm not missing it yet. And I, I think partially is because there there've been a lot of really good games in between, and then you get a game like Warlock, which really comes out of you know, is not a game that had a huge push before it came out, and you know it's been just been a, a wonderful surprise. Yeah, I, I've been having I've been having trouble getting a sense for this. Uh, do you guys have a sense for how uh, for like how much buzz there's been about Warlock? Because I mean, I only really knew to look for this game because uh, I think Troy's uh, uh, Evolve PR was representing it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been following it for you know maybe a month before it came out, just because I said I heard that you know there was this new fantasy 4X game coming out, and I said, oh, I need to look into this. But you know that was a month before it released, and before that I hadn't heard about it, and I don't. I don't see a lot of people talking about it other than, you know, on places like, say, Quarter of the Three. I thought I saw something that indicated it had sold above expectations, but I might be confusing it with some other, uh, I don't know, not indie, but medium-level strategy game. But I, um, in terms of buzz, I think that it's got a decent amount of buzz for kind of coming out of nowhere, but I don't think that it's you know, going to be like a Terraria level hit at this point, though it could be. Yeah. Knows. Well, that that's why I'm hoping that this game has a slow burn. Um, you know, people keep playing it and they keep telling their friends about it, and hopefully, pe- more people pick it up. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, and I do think it's priced too. Just you know, encourage you to take a chance on it uh, a little bit, and I, I think that'll be rewarded. Uh, I I do question whether or not you know, in the last analysis, the game is going to. Um, Again, going back to that issue of balance, right? Like whether it's going to hang together and all the parts sort of fit in a, uh, you know, in a satisfying way. I, I, I question whether that's going to be the case. Like, 
I, I I just I'm really disappointed that the portals, for instance, don't you know using them seems to be more trouble than it's worth. Um, I would like that to be a a viable strategic uh, proposition. But you know, but but putting that aside, like you know, these are. You know, I mean, the the game is really challenging and interesting, and uh, you know, for for a strategy game, particularly someone who like wants sort of a dynamic, like a dynamic war game, which in a lot of ways that's kind of what Warlock Master of the Arcane is. Uh, it's it's a war game that's sort of generating an endless supply of tough scenarios. Uh, you know, that's that's kind of living the dream. Yeah, we've been talking about it for eighty minutes already. <laughs> It's also one of the better fantasy strategy games I have. Like theoretically, this is my ideal genre and or subgenre, and it's just one that I've never found one that I absolutely love. Like I can always make pretty significant complaints about Heroes of Might and Magic or Master of Magic or um, even going further games like Fantasy General or King's Bounty. King's Bounty. Well, the new King's Bounty I would call role playing games, but yeah. Yeah, those. Uh, are, uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't consider those really strategy yeah. or warrior. But you know, maybe Elven Legacy. Yeah, yeah, I haven't played those, but just about any fantasy strategy game or always something that I really want to like, and something just kind of stops me a little bit. And this one, like, there are these intellectual things that bug me, like the way that water isn't useful, or the way that the portals work, or how easy it is to get stuck in a war of attrition and have to start over if you end up messing up that war of attrition but overall it doesn't have any one thing that makes me want to stop playing it once i get going and i think that's actually a little bit more important than the intellectual quibbles that i can uh, make about it all right that seems like a good place to stop uh with there not being any about this game that makes you want to stop playing and it's um, really just it's it's fun and sometimes I think, you know, especially strategy games, we kind of lose sight of just the, the joy of it. Are you trolling me right now? No, not intentionally. <laughs> All right, because, yeah, because the last week we had uh, Tom Chick on the show and John Schaefer and uh, David Heron, and we were all talking about how much challenge we have problems with the idea of fun. Oh, um, I haven't listened to that show yet, and yeah, that's so no, not an intentional troll, but but I, I, I'm really an advocate of of fun. And I think I've become more of an advocate of fun since I had a kid. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there are lots of issues that I have with the idea of fun, but, um, like, if we're talking about games that you want to keep playing and don't want to stop playing as a definition of that. I think that that has yeah. a certain meaning. And well, and, and and to make a distinction, like this is not one of those games. This is one of those games that you keep playing it because you're like actually like engaged. It's not like that uh, sort of uh, uh, you know World of Warcraft feeling where it's like yeah. you just dined on a bag of Oreos for dinner or something <laughs> like that. That's sort of like self-loathing where it's like Jesus Christ, why am I do- why am I still here? Why am I still doing this? Uh, or or the, like- the upper levels of Diablo 3 are kind of like that and that's uh, that's a, pretty much what stopped me. Uh, I was proceeding merrily along through hell and then all of a sudden I died 50 times in an hour and I said, okay, Maybe I ought to try some other games. I just I just need to get to my... I just need to unlock my, my hardcore character, and then I'm just... I'm hoping that playing for keeps is going to make that game awesome. Wait, you, you haven't even gotten to level 10 yet? No, I did on another person's account. Oh. 
uh, and then I was like, oh shit, that was pretty cool. Like you could so, do that in forty five minutes. I think that you should you ought to give the game a little bit more of a go yeah, than that. No, but it's because replaying Act One is just like, oh god, Doctor Kane, looking, shut the fuck up. Just I'm press escape and space bar through the plot if you've oh seen it God. before or even if you haven't seen it before I, I played it on a friend with, I played it on a friend's computer with slightly busted headphones so I couldn't hear half the stuff so I'm like okay now I'm gonna now I'm gonna just enjoy this delicious rich lore oh yeah. boy yeah that's <laughs> when I fire doctor. that's when I start firing up the podcasts <laughs> <laughs> it's actively terrible in a way that Blizzard games haven't been or at least haven't been in the area that I know of. Maybe StarCraft II was actively terrible in terms of plot. Uh, I need really need to write my analysis of just why the plot fails so hard. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Alright, <laughs> so there's our contractually obligated bash of Diablo 3 and 3 moves ahead. I mean, I really like Diablo 3. I played, you know, I've probably put 60, 70 hours, maybe longer into it. Uh, but plot is not one of the things that I really like about it. Yeah. Well, I'm, I am I need to hold off on, on passing judgment, because I really am hoping that, uh... I, I really am hoping that, like, I'm just gonna get, get, like, get to hardcore, and, uh, just play the hell out of that, and, um... You know, basically, I, I I like the idea of making Diablo a game where I where I live dangerously, uh, but we are we are well afield from the topic. Yes, we are. Uh, uh, I think is, this is probably all going to be deleted anyway. So. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. Um, yeah, so Warlock Master of the Arcane, um, pretty cool, and it's keeping us occupied more than Diablo is. So it's got that going for it. Um, Alright, so thank you so much for joining me tonight. Um, thank you for the invitation. Well, you've been fantastic guests, and uh, again, hope to have you back soon. Um, in addition to you guys, I, I'd also like to thank uh, Michael Hermes, Sean Andrich, and uh, our producer for tonight's episode, Jonathan Downen. Michael had to take this week off and reached out to Sean and Jonathan to help us get this week's episode out the door, and they ably stepped up to the plate. Uh, we hope Michael comes back to us soon and that he knows that uh, he's in all of our thoughts here at Three Moves Ahead. Um, so that does it for, for Warlock, and just a reminder, guys, it's on sale this weekend for $10. Bucks. Uh, that's a... F- that's 50% off, and uh, I'd say it's still a pretty easy proposition at, at 20 bucks too. It's um, it's definitely, I think, boy, I can't name a, a more interesting 4X uh, that's out there at this moment uh, that's, that's come out lately. Not that we've been up to eyeballs in 4Xs. Yeah, I mean, uh, you're not exploring in Crusader Kings too, so yeah, I don't think and, it well, counts. I don't think we want to talk about Sword of the Stars too. No, no, I don't think we want to. <laughs> uh, I, I have the sins of a Solar Empire rebellion that I guess has some exploration. I really need to get back to it because I promised someone a preview when it comes out in four no, days. No, you, you should, you should totally, yeah, you should totally check that out because. <laughs> yeah, Sorry, that's, that's going to be an awesome preview. <laughs> he owes me money, so you know it's. No, it's it's totally. Kind of a, a friendly little uh, not working for each other. 
least I hope <laughs> uh, so. I think every freelancer has been there, and this is yeah. this is such a permanent facet of our of our job market, where like everyone's living in a perpetual state of infraction uh, against each other. Um, but yeah, no, I I, I would say that I, I give uh, Sins is a is a genre hybrid. It's a four X RTS, and uh, it's become much more of a four X uh, with each expansion. And I think. Uh, that trend has continued with Rebellion, but that's a topic for another day, and I can almost certainly guarantee we'll be revisiting it, uh, you know, in the next couple weeks. Uh, but for tonight, be sure to check out Warlock Master of the Arcane, and uh, again, thanks guys for coming on the show and uh, making it a late night with me. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Good night, everybody. <laughs>